I'm reading from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 31. Paul and Silas are speaking here. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Then they brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors opened, flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourselves. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought, out, brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is God's word for us today. Father, thank you for your word. It's truth. And Lord, as we broach the subject today of, do I have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? I pray, God, for your hand, and I pray, God, for your voice to move amongst us, to speak to our hearts. Lord, your word is truth, and you have the truth for us in this matter. And I pray that, God, as we listen to your word today, the Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, and you would be the one that anoints not only your servant, but anoints every heart to understand very clearly what it is that your word is saying on this issue. We ask this and pray all this to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So, do all roads lead to heaven? That's a question that, that, some, people, that some people ask. Uh, what about this one? What about those who have never heard about Jesus? What's going to happen to them? And what about someone who is sincere in their faith, albeit that their faith may be Hinduism, or may, they may be a Muslim, or they may be someone who is a Confucianist? What if, they, what if they're sincere in their faith? What if somebody in worshiping, in worshiping Buddha... It's the same as worshiping Christ. Or if they were to say that they're worshiping Muhammad, is that the same as worshiping Christ? What do I need to do to get to heaven? Do I have to believe in Jesus Christ? That seems a little exclusive, doesn't it? And these are questions that we're going to answer today. You talk about some hot-button issues in here. But as we talk about it, and as we've been walking through this series of What's Next?, Heaven is the next, in the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about heaven. The first is, how do we get there in the first place? Do I have to believe in Jesus Christ to go to heaven? And that's the question that we're going to ask. And we're going to be looking at three questions that were asked here. But as we looked at, at the text that we read today, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. 
They are seeing a great deal of success. God is powerfully working. And you can know this every time that you begin to move in the direction that God wants you to do. And when you begin to see success, you can count on the fact that the enemy is not going to take that lying down. And he didn't. There's a girl following behind her, following behind Paul and Silas, and saying, these men are teaching you what? They're teaching you the way to be saved. Why doesn't he, why does he have a problem with that? Because God doesn't need Satan to be speaking on his behalf. And he commands this girl, he commands the spirit that is in this girl out, and the, and the spirit goes. Of course it did. Why? Because when Christ speaks and when his name is invoked, the enemy must listen to that. That is a powerful word there. And when the guys who were controlling this girl, in this day and age, the fortune tellers, this was a big business, we were down by Temple Street last week and just saw you know, the, um, all, the, all the fortune tellers that were going there. My grandmother was a fortune teller. That's how she, that's how she supported uh, our, our, my parents' family. She didn't come to Christ until very, very late in her life. But that's how she made her living. And this, these guys, this was how they made their living with this gal. And when they realized that their, their, um, their cash cow was gone, that their ability to make money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas, thinking that they were strictly just Jews, and they beat them. Now, when it talks about that they flogged him, what what they beat them with, imagine a broomstick. That was the type of stick, and they beat them to within an inch of their lives. Never once asking who they are. Paul was a Roman citizen. Silas was a Roman citizen. This was absolutely against everything that the Romans were to do. And they find out about this at the very end. But Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And while in prison, what happens? Paul and Silas are put in the stocks. And while they're in the stocks, it says at midnight, around midnight, what are they doing? They're praising God and they're they're singing hymns. And the guys are listening around them. And then an earthquake comes in. And the and the and the doors fly open and the and the stock or the, the chains fall off, and the jailer thinks, I'm dead. Because if any of the prisoners escaped, it was the head jailer whose life was, was, was called to account. And he thought, I'm dead. I'm dead. And yet Paul and Silas were there, and he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? It's a question that all of us need to answer. What is it that I must do to be saved? Do I need to believe in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to go to heaven? And that is a question. Why, why, why did he ask this question? Why did he ask this question? This is huge, and we need to understand this. Why did he ask this question? He asked this question at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in his word in John's John's Gospel, chapter 6, he said, No one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws him. God is the one who is at work in our lives. John chapter 5 says that, that Jesus says, My Father is always at his work even to this very day, and I too must be about his work. God is the one who is relentlessly pursuing each and every one of you. It is no coincidence that you are here today. It is no coincidence that you're here today, especially if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Because God is pursuing you to have a relationship with you, a relationship that is real, that is personal, and that is based on his love. And remember what God's word says. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. That there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. So when somebody asks a question like this, tell me more about your God. How, what must I do to be saved? Tell me, I've, I've got questions about God. I've got questions about church. When somebody asks you a question like that, your radar should go up because that's God working in their lives. 
And God is the one who is working in lives all around us. We just have to be aware of when it is that God is speaking to people. And when God opens that door, that's your opportunity to join God in what it is that he's doing. So one of the first things we see is, why does he ask this question? It's at the prompting. It's at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I think there's another reason why. He's, he's been hearing what it is that Paul has been saying. He's been talking about what has Paul been, been saying to the crowds and to the people, how it is that they can be saved. But I wonder, too, if he asked, what must I do to be saved because of another miracle that he saw? Did, did you catch it? Verse 25. It's midnight, and what are Paul and Silas doing? They're in stocks, and they're obviously in a great deal of pain. But what are they doing? They're singing. And they're praying. And what's the last part of it? And the prisoners were listening. Hey, don't miss this. When you are walking through, when you're walking through a time of adversity, don't miss what God is seeking to do in the midst of that time of adversity. Don't miss what it is that God is seeking to do in you and through you in that time of adversity. You walking through a time like that right now? God says in all things, In all things give thanks, because this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. In all things give thanks, because it's in the midst of adversity that God is seeking to work in you and through you. And so, have you taken the time to ask God, God, I don't understand this, what you're doing right now. It hurts. I don't like this. I don't like the place that I'm at right now. God, would you help me to see this from your standpoint? Because sometimes our life, I, I saw an illustration yesterday of this as uh, Beck and I were in church. We go to church and we watch online. And a guy took a whole puzzle and he dumped the puzzle out. And he said, sometimes our life is like that puzzle. And we pick up the pieces and we've got a thousand piece puzzle here. And we pick up the pieces. And, and most of the time, if it's a thousand piece puzzle, you just don't pick up two pieces that fit together. But every once in a while, you pick up one or two and they fit together. But what he didn't show us was he didn't show us what the picture was, what the puzzle was. He just showed us the the inside of the box. And God doesn't always show us what it is that he's doing in our lives, does it? But God is at work in our lives. Even in the midst of adversity, God is at work. Take the time to ask God, God, what is it you're seeking to teach me? God, what is it you're seeking to do in and through me? in the midst of this opportunity, to bring glory and honor to you. Because that's the ultimate end of whatever it is that God is doing. Can I say thank you? The question is not, can I say thank you? The question is, will I say thank you, God? Where it is that God has me right now. The second thing, that God may be using these times to get your attention. We don't like that, do we? Has God gotten your attention lately? Something's happened, something's gone on, some, you get a prognosis back and it, it's not that good, or maybe something happened in your job, something happened in your health, something's happened in your family. Sometimes those things happen because God is seeking to get your attention. Did God get this jailer's attention? In a huge way, didn't he? In a huge way, God, God got, the, got his attention. And the question is, what must I do what must I do to be saved? Now, now think about this. This guy doesn't, have, he doesn't give a rat's earlobe about Paul and Silas before this. I mean, what does he do? When Paul and Silas are brought in, they're brought in and they're, they're beaten to within an inch of their life. And then 
the jailer is told to watch these guys. Where are they going? They are beaten so badly. I mean, listen, they're beaten to within an inch of their life. And they're put in the inner stocks, and then they put stocks. Their feet would have been put out in front of them, and the stocks would have been put around their feet, sometimes even around their hands, so that they're not able to lie down. Their backs are open from all of the wounds that they have on their backs. And yet in the middle of all this, they're praising God and singing hymns. And this jailer has the audacity to come in after not caring for him and saying, what must I do to be saved? Now, what's wrong with that picture? I mean, who is salvation for in the first place? Is salvation for people like this? What do you think? Another rhetorical question, right? What do you think? Is salvation for somebody like this? I mean, who is salvation for? Salvation is for everyone. Both good and bad. God's word says this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to do what? To bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive by the Spirit. Salvation is for all, isn't it? Everyone that you meet, if they don't know Christ, salvation is for them. Listen to what it says, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Titus 3.5, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done that he saved us, but it was according to his mercy that he saved us. See, here's the thing. If, if I can work and do things to earn my salvation, go to church, give money, go on, a, go on a hajj, go do whatever. If I can do just something like that to earn my salvation, then the question needs to be asked is this, then why did Jesus have to come? Then why did Jesus have to come? If I can somehow do something to earn my way to heaven, then why did Jesus come? If salvation is received by that, but Jesus by his own admission in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, what did he say? He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You ever been lost? Since we have moved to Hong Kong, I, I don't know how many times we have been absolutely lost. When the first days we were here, we went to go look at the, for the botanical gardens in, 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 uh, in, on the island in Hong Kong. We get into some of the better fights in our lives at, at, when we're lost, don't we, bud? Oh, because you read the GPS, and it's telling you to walk this way, and you go this way, and, and then you find out, well, I'm walking in the wrong direction. I'm following the GPS, and it's telling me that I'm going in the wrong direction. Finally, you say, yeah, forget it. Just get in a cab and tell the guy, this is where I want to go. And that's what we end up doing a lot of times when we're lost. But when somebody that you dearly love is lost... You make an all-out effort to find them, don't you? My second son, Peter, his name fits him to a T. I mean, he is Peter. He just he, uh, leap first and think later about what it is, or say something and then think later about what it is that he did. Very impetuous. And when Peter was younger, we uh, would go, or when, we, when the kids were younger, there was a place like Ocean Park that every year we would, um, the church would give us a... Um, a gift, and we'd buy a pass to go to like that Ocean Park place. And so on Fridays on my day off, we'd go there, and we'd have fun. And we were there one day, and there was a lot of people there. And Peter was always the one who was out in front. 
And I'd say, Peter, you have to look back and you have to make sure that you see where we are. And we came to a Y in the path. And where was Peter? Peter was gone. And we, could, we couldn't find him. I mean, people everywhere. I tell you what, we didn't sit down and say, oh, we got sandwiches here in the cooler. Here. We're going to eat these sandwiches first and then we'll go. We dropped everything that we were doing because someone of great value was missing. My son was missing. And Jesus said he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Something of value was missing and deserved an all-out effort to find it. That's why Jesus came. He came to find the lost. And it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. What does that mean to perish? That means to, be, to go into a Christless eternity, an eternity separated from God a place and a time where you were separated from God for eternity. A place, I wish I didn't have to say this, a place of torment. A place that God doesn't want you to go to and doesn't want people to go to. It says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God made the way possible so that we wouldn't have to perish. And he came to seek and to save the lost. And he says, because the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. If someone continues, continues on in their way, the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And it's a gift. It's a gift by grace. Ephesians 2.89, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and, this not for, and that not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Here again, we come back to that thought. If I can do something to earn my way to heaven then why did Jesus need to come? The fact is, there are, I can do nothing. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. It is the mercy of God. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, it is the mercy of God in Him drawing you and wooing you to His heart. Even the faith that it took when you prayed to receive Christ was a gift from His hand. That's the mercy of God in your life. If you are here today and you don't know Christ, it is the mercy of God in him wooing to you to his side. But do you want to say, but what about those people who have never heard about Christ? What about them? In God's word, and I may be, just a second, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll get back to that in a minute. But don't all religions, don't all religions point to God? Don't, it doesn't matter if somebody's a Buddhist. It doesn't matter if somebody is a Muslim. As long as they're sincere in their faith, isn't that good enough? And sometimes we think that it is. But do all roads lead to heaven? They don't. They don't. Jesus made this statement, and here's, there's huge ramifications with this statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Was that a pretty bold statement? It was an incredibly bold statement. It was a statement made by one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he says is the truth. If this isn't the truth, if I can be a sincere Buddhist and still get to heaven without, without praying to receive Christ, if I can be a sincere Muslim, and when I'm praying, and when I'm praying that, that the, the Allah that I'm praying to is, is really God, if I can really do that, then this verse is a lie. 
And everything else in Scripture, I can't believe as well. Either this is truth or it's not truth. And we have to make that decision. But, the, but your decision, maybe you say, that, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't change the truth of this statement. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We read in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says that there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is what? What is it? Is death. Put that next to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Well, what about those people? What about those people who have, never, who have never heard about God? Salvation, it says, is found in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Again, either that's truth or it's not. So do I have to believe in Jesus Christ Do I have to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior to go to heaven? What do you think? Yes. Yes. Okay, so what about all those other religions? What about all those people who've never heard about Christ? What about about them? Romans chapter, chapter 1, verse 20, says this. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, says that, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal powers, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are with what? Without? With what? Excuse. Has God made Himself known to every person in this world? This is called general revelation. And when people see... Who God is. I've been in places, when, one of the times when I was in the Philippines with the Taboli people, so far back in the sticks with the Taboli people, but yet I had a man come to me and say, you know, even before we heard that there was a God, we looked around and we saw the things around us, and we knew that there was somebody who had created this, somebody greater than us who had created this. And he said, not only did we know that, he said, we knew when we were doing something wrong, that it was wrong, and it was wrong against the one who had created us. Has God made himself known? Go online, just tap this in. Dreams about Isa, I-S-S-A. That's the Muslim word for Jesus. In the, in the, in the Quran, Jesus is looked at as one of the prophets or as one of the, one of the um, good teachers, but he's not worshipped as God. But Jesus, Isa, is appearing to, oh, to a lot of Muslims in dreams. And they're having dreams. Just type it in, dreams about Isa, and see the different websites, hear the different testimonies. God is the one who is going out of his way to reach into places where, he's, where he is not allowed. And he's drawing hearts, and he's reaching hearts, and drawing them to himself. Where there is a hunger, where people respond to God, will God continue to open up and draw them into more and more of a relationship with him? He will. He will. This is a tough one. I know that this is a tough one for many of us. But God has made himself known. And when there is a desire to know more about God, God will continue to open up and continue to open up more and more about himself. Here's the danger in saying that it's okay. 
it, all roads lead to heaven. It's okay to be a sincere Buddhist. It's okay to be a sincere Muslim. It's okay to be a sincere whatever. It's okay to have other religions because they all point to heaven. The danger in that is this. Then it doesn't matter. Then it doesn't matter if I talk to them about Christ or not. It doesn't matter. Because they're going to find their, their way. They're somehow going to get to God their own way. Is that the truth? It's not, folks. It's not. There's but one way. And you say, well, that's really kind of exclusive on the part of, of God, isn't it? It is. But yet it was His mercy and His grace. He could have left us to fend for ourselves. But He made the way possible. He made the way possible so that we could find Him. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. I, I'm going to skip that verse. Um, in Romans chapter... so. So let me just stop here for a minute, okay, so we're clear. So is there any other way to get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ? No, there's not. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That means that I can't do enough good things to earn my way to heaven. I must come by faith and by grace to God before him and to ask him for his forgiveness. Acts 4.12 says that salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Either that's truth or it's a lie. And I believe it is absolutely the truth of God. And as your pastor, I stand on that. And so what does that mean for those who've never heard? That means that we who have heard, that we who do know Christ, what are we doing with that message, with that truth? Remember when my kids were little. I'll go back to Peter. Uh, he struggled with ear, ear infection. And we'd go to the doctor and he'd say, yep, he's got an ear infection again. He'd prescribe us the antibiotic for his ear infection and we'd take it home and put it in the fridge. Well, what if one day I went home and I said to Becca, I said, Becca, I've been to see Dr. Bugby and he said that this is the medicine that Peter needed and I put it in the fridge. And Peter's ears are still, still bad. And I, I go to the fridge, I say, here's the medicine that, that Peter needs for his ears. And if he takes this medicine, his ears will be better. What's the problem? I haven't given it to him, have I? I haven't done that. And what we have, do we have the way that can help people to find hope in Christ? We do. Are there people around you that don't know Christ? That if they were to pass from this world, they would pass into an existence, a Christless existence for eternity? You see, this is why this makes this such a tough scripture. Because we have to do something with it. If we know Christ, we have to do something with what it is that he shared with us. There's a third question. The first question is, what must I do to be saved? That was the jailer's question. The second question was, an odd, the third question is, so what do I do? What must I do to be saved? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What does that mean to be Lord? Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter answers this question and he says, The one you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, Lord and Savior. When Jesus died, when Jesus died on the cross, he died not only to forgive your sins, 
but he died to be your Lord as well. It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord? Some of you, I look around the room and I've asked the last several weeks, if you don't know Christ, that they want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. And so far we've had nobody, nobody receive Christ. So that must mean then that each and every one of you is, is a believer. Okay, Christ didn't come to be fire insurance. Okay? He came to be your Lord. He came not only to be your Savior, but He came to be your Lord as well. When we confess Christ, we're confessing Him as both Savior and as Lord. How's, how's that working for you? How's that, how's that working for you? Is He Lord? Is He the one that's directing the shots in your life? Is He the one that you say in everything that you do, God, you are Lord of all that I have. God, all of it is yours. Here's, here it is. You lead me in what it is that you want to do with, with what it is that I have because you're, because you're Lord. Is he Lord in the things that you're watching? The things that you're doing with his money? The things that you're doing with his time? Is he Lord in all those things? He died not only to be Savior, but Lord as well. So what must I do to be saved? The first one is to confess. To confess what? To confess that we're a sinner and that we, that we have sinned. Some of us think, well, the little things that I've done, those, those can't possibly keep me from, from going to heaven. They can. If you've never confessed your sin before God and said, God, would you forgive me that I'm a sinner? This is where it starts. So it's not only a confession of sin, but it's a confession of our need for a Savior. Where we were from in, in, in Minnesota, they're pretty tough people up there. They have to be. My daughter, uh, we talked to her this week on, uh, on uh, WhatsApp. There's four feet of snow on the ground. It's been 30 below zero. They have to be tough people. They're tough or stupid to live in that part of the world. I mean, it just, and, but yet they're pretty tough people. But what I tell them is, even though you're pretty tough, you're not tough enough to get to heaven on your own. For this, you need Jesus. And for some of us here, we're pretty smart. We've got good jobs. We know we're pretty, we're pretty savvy. But we have to make that admission that I need a Savior. Admission that I'm a sinner. An admission that I need a Savior. And there's a third thing. It's called repentance. What does repentance mean? Metanoia is the Greek word. Metanoia simply means it's a 180-degree it's a turn. I'm going this way. I'm watching porn on the internet. I'm, I'm being unfaithful when I'm on the road. I'm not doing the right thing with my taxes or with spending money. I'm not speaking the truth. When a person comes to Christ, repentance is part of that coming to Christ. That's a 180 degree turn. That means I was going in this direction. I was doing those things. And now I've stopped doing those things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I am walking in the direction that God would have me to go. And every day that my feet hit the floor, I say before my feet hit the floor, God, help me in this day to walk in the way and in the direction that you're calling me to walk in. But it begins that in part, in part when we say that Christ is my Savior. It is an admission that I'm a sinner. It's an admission that I need a Savior. It is also a repentance, it is a turning away from what I was doing to where I am now. You want to see a great move of repentance? You look at the guy, Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. You know, he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember that? 
Zacchaeus climbed up the tree. Zacchaeus was a man who was incredibly wealthy. He was the chief tax collector in that area. He took a cut from all of the other tax collectors in that area. And he climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. There are two things with that. Men didn't climb trees. And I'll let you figure that out for yourself because he wore a robe. But he's up in a tree and he's just he's, he's trying to, I'm just going to see Jesus on my own. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I just want to see him. And so he's up in the tree and Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, he knew his name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. He said, for today I must come to your house. Boy, did that set the tongues to wagging among, this, among the Sanhedrin, among the Pharisees. And they go to the house and what does Zacchaeus say? Lord, today, today I give half of all that I own to the poor. And then I love this next statement. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, if you've lived your life as a cheat, if, and he says, I will give back four times what it is that I've taken. What's wrong with that? By law, he was required to give two times back. What is Zacchaeus saying in effect? He said, I'm giving it all away. Today I have found Christ. And what does Jesus say? Today salvation has come to this house. And when you look at the story of Zacchaeus, it comes a chapter or two chapters after what? After the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and it said that he loved him and said, so all that you have, give to the poor and you, and you come follow me. Was that what he needed? No, Jesus touched on what was going on in this guy's life. Here was one who was not willing to give up anything and here's one who when he came to Christ... He gave everything up. He gave everything up. That was repentance. That was repentance on his part. And when we come to Christ, repentance is part of that. And can I ask today where where you stand in your relationship with Christ? Because repentance is a daily thing too, isn't it? It's a daily thing as well, taking stock. Guys, what are you spending your time with on the internet? Just guys, young people. I ride on the MTR every day, got my arm up in the air like this every day. Um, some of the stuff that you see on the, on, the, on the phones isn't the greatest. What are you spending your time on? Ladies, how is it that you're building your husbands up with the words that you say? Some of you Filipinas here. How about, your, how about your, the people that you work for? Are you working in such a way that it's bringing honor and glory to God? Because if it's not... That calls for repentance and that calls for God's forgiveness. And when we ask God to forgive, will he? He absolutely will. Excuse me, if we confess our sin, it says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do I have to believe in Jesus Christ to go to heaven? Yes. At Alliance International Church, that's what we believe. And that's from this pulpit what what we teach. All roads don't lead to heaven. There's coming a day, Philippians chapter 2 verse 11 says, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. There will be some who will be forced to kneel before him. And there will be others who will kneel because they've worshipped him. In, In which place will you be found? When the Titanic sank, there, there's a word. Here's your 50-cent word to learn. Uh, the word is hubris. Hubris is a word for extreme pride. 
And there was a great deal of hubris on the part of the, not only the builders, but also of the captain of the Titanic. It was, it was after all, it was unsinkable. And knowing that they were going through a field of, of icebergs all over the place, the news came out, you know, beware, there's icebergs all over the place. The captain just kept going right on ahead in the, as he uh, sailed his ship. And then they heard a crunch along the side, and there was a, a 200-foot seam that was opened up on the side of the boat. They didn't have enough lifeboats for everybody. They didn't need it. It was unsinkable. And when the Titanic went down, there were people in New York City who were waiting. They were waiting for the passengers to come in. And the, and the, the people who ran that, the, the, the Titanic, they put up on a board those known to be lost and those known to be alive, those known to be saved, were the two categories. And people waited, and they waited, and they looked at the, at the next name to be written, and some were written on the, on the line. Those known to be lost, and some were written on those known to be saved. There were only two ways. There were only two classes at that point. Everyone riding on that ship that day, there were many classes. First class, second class, third class, steerage. But there will come a day when every single one of us will stand before God, and there will be only two ways. You will either be lost or you will be saved. And the question that you will be asked as you stand before God the Father is this. What did you do with the gift that I gave to you? What did you do with my Son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with that? Because those who choose to reject Christ choose to receive what it is that, they, that, they, that they've asked for. A person who chooses to reject Christ chooses to spend an eternity apart from Him. I wish that there were something else that I could say beside that, but that's the truth. And those who choose to receive Christ will be with Him for eternity. And I know for some of us that just seems like that, that's wrong. But it puts the impetus back upon us who do know Christ. That What are we doing with the message that God has given us? What are we doing with the hope that God has given to us? That's what spurred our, our, our founder, A.B. Simpson, on. That's why he came to China. That's why he came to Hong Kong. That's why he sent missionaries to Indonesia, to Vietnam, to Laos, and every, areas like that. Because lost people matter to God. And one of the things we say in the Christian Missionary Alliance is, lost people matter to God, and they deserve to be found. Amen? Amen. Do you know, do you know, do you know, where it is that you'll spend eternity. Because there is but one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Okay? If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want to give you an opportunity again this morning as we close. If you want to pray to receive Christ, I'm just going to ask you to do that simple thing. Just raise your hand. You put it down, and I'm going to pray with you out, out loud. You can pray in your heart. And even if you don't want to do that, if you want to just... Grab me afterwards and say, Pastor, I want to pray with you. Would do that, and I'll meet with you to pray with you, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you again for the precious gift of salvation. Thank you for your mercy, because God, there isn't a one of us in this room that has done anything on our own to merit salvation. When the love and mercy of God appeared, he used, you saved us. You saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of your mercy. Lord, I thank you that you are merciful towards us. Even this morning, it isn't a coincidence that any of us are here. 
you are speaking and you are working to communicate truth into our lives in such a way that, God, we are forced to do something with what it is that we hear. And, God, my heart goes out to each and every one of us because, Lord, I pray that as we look around, that our ears will be open to those in whose lives you are working. Lord, we don't have to save everybody. But, Lord, you do call us to live in such a way that the light of Christ is seen through us. You don't, have to, you don't ask us to constantly be talking about Christ, but you call us to live in such a way. And you call us to speak in such a way that you are seen and that you are heard in and through our lives. Because lost people matter to you, and you long that they would be found. God, I pray, I pray for souls that as people come through the doors of AIC, people that, God, you are working in their lives, to, drawing them to yourself, I pray that, God, that this would be a season where we would see many come to know Christ as their personal Savior. I pray as well that, God, you would put within our hearts the courage and the desire and the passion to share you with those with whom you've put us near. And Lord, I pray too that as we walk, as we live this life that you've called us to, I pray that, God, we would live in such a way, according to your Spirit, that, Lord, we wouldn't be doing the things that grieve your heart, that quench the Spirit, but that we would be doing those things in our lives that bring you glory. God, help us to walk in a spirit of repentance before you. And Lord, I also pray lastly for those who came here. Maybe there's, you came here today and you don't know Christ. You heard what has been said this morning. There's but one way. And you'd like to pray to receive Christ. If you would like to do that, I would ask you to just put your hand up now. And I want to have a word of prayer with you. Thank you, Father, again for the truth of your word. And as we go out, Father, into this world, I thank you that truth isn't a concept. Truth is a person. You're the truth. And Lord, as we go out, you go out with us. I pray, God, for the anointing and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to be over each and every one of your children. I pray that, God, again, Christ would be seen in us and through us and that we would see a harvest of souls for your kingdom. To you belongs all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Would you join me in praying as our Lord Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace and in the power and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the light of Christ be seen in and through you wherever it is that you go. In Jesus' precious name I pray that. Amen. Amen. Let us all stand for our closing song.